0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy.
1: So our first reading comes from Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You received without payment. You give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If your house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town, truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second scripture reading is a continuation of what you heard Judy reading earlier. It's Matthew ten sixteen to 23. Jesus says, See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. And when they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you at the time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the word of the Lord. To God. So again, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. It is great to see you all here today. And we have been doing a sermon series called Trending for those of you who may be new here. And the sermon series... It revolves around the concepts of what are trending in social media. So we're going to be talking about these various things that trend at the top and what we believe God's Spirit has to say to us about them. But before we get into our trending topic for our day, we always talk about the scripture that we read. And so we just spent time reading this whole scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. And this scripture is talking about when Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and to preach the gospel. Now This happens to be the first time that Jesus is sending them out out on their own without his supervision. And this is also the first time that we see the word apostle used in the Gospels. It's the first time that Matthew refers to them as an apostle. So that word apostle, it literally means one who has been sent out. One who has been sent out. Now, in the ancient world, an apostle was someone who had been sent by a person or group In order to deliver a message. In truth, the term apostle has the same meaning today as it did back then. Because what a person who's an apostle, they were going out and they were advocating specifically on behalf of an idea or a cause. So for instance, today we would say, oh, that person is an apostle of Bill Gates, right? So they go out for the Bill Gates Foundation and they are advocating on their behalf. They use the same term back in the day for the same meaning. But when you're talking about the Bible, it actually has a slightly different ring to it. It means something slightly different. Because with an apostle, the way it works is is that Jesus had actually sent these people out. First of all, he had directly spoken to them. They were a point of direct contact with Jesus. And so as a result of that, That means that they had heard it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak, right? They had heard it directly from Jesus, so their teachings carried a lot more weight than just the average Christian that was out there. Now, what you will notice is that when Matthew names the 12 disciples who are going to become apostles... He does something very interesting. He adds a little detail in there that is left out of the other Gospels. Now, you all already knew that because you've memorized all of the Gospels and you know the difference between them, right? But I'm going to point it out to you anyway in case you might have overlooked it. So when he gets to Matthew, you notice that he says that Matthew is a tax collector. That is omitted from the other Gospels. Now, the question is, why? Well... When they wrote stories like this back in the ancient world, unlike today where there's a title and an author, I mean, you all know, you've been to bookstores, right? You've read books before. You've seen how we do it today. That's how you show what the book is and who wrote it. They did not do that back in the day. What they did was they'd write a manuscript and it was passed around. And the way that the people reading the manuscript knew who had written it is because the author would insert themselves into the story. So that's what's happening here. In the chapter before this, what happens is we see that Jesus goes up to this guy, a tax collector named Matthew, and he says, follow me. And then in the next chapter, what we read here, that same Matthew, he's the one who is called as an apostle to go out and preach. So the thing is, you have to realize, how many gospels do we have in the Bible? Four. gonna give you a little hint. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them came with names. None of them have names attached to them. So this is how we figured it out. The tradition is is that Matthew would be the one who had written it because the ancients would have read this and understood that he was the author. Now what this means is that, of course, if Matthew is an apostle, what does that say about the gospel? Is it accurate? Of course it is, right? If you awake this morning... (laughs) Is it accurate? If he's an apostle, what did I tell you? What does an apostle do? He is connected to Jesus. Jesus. So does that mean that it's supposed to be accurate? Yes. Yes, it is, right? It's supposed to be a direct portrayal. I was there. I saw what happened. I can tell you how it occurred. Not to burst your bubble, because you know I was going to, though, but that's not really true. So the fact is, is that most scholars believe that Matthew was written around 80 A.D., So that's 50 years after Jesus' death. So more than likely, Matthew was not written by somebody who knew Jesus personally. But what we do know about Matthew, it was was written by somebody who was Jewish and who was writing for a Jewish audience. This is very much like John's Gospel. So there's four Gospels, right? Remember that part? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them are written for a Jewish audience, Matthew and John. And they're trying to achieve the same end. They're trying to convince the Jews in their community that Jesus is the Messiah. And you can see this in the text that we read this morning. So when Jesus, he sends out his disciples, he tries to send out the apostles. Listen to what he says. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. And what are Gentiles? Gentiles are non-Jews, Right? And then he says, enter no town of the Samaritans. Now, Samaritans, they were half Jew, half Gentile. They had intermarried with one another. So he says, don't go there. But he says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, don't bother with anyone who isn't Jewish. You want to go and preach to the Jews. This same scripture, it shows up in Luke's gospel. But Luke, he takes out the lost sheep of the house of Israel because his audience is not Jewish. His audience is Gentile. And so when you hear it from Jesus' lips in Luke's gospel, he says, hey, don't worry about it, you go wherever you need to. Now, the question that we should be asking is why does Matthew do this? Why does Matthew have this little line in there, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Well, it's because there was something very specific happening around 80 AD that you have to appreciate to understand why this is here. So basically, The Christian mission to the Jews was failing miserably. The Jews simply were not buying this whole line that the Christians were feeding them that Jesus was the Messiah. And you can feel some of the frustration that they have in this, in this text. So let's take a look right here. Look at what it says. It says, now he's talking to the apostles, right? He says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. These are some really harsh words from Jesus coming out of his mouth. And in case you didn't pick up on that, let me walk you through it so you understand just how harsh this actually is. So, Jesus says, when you go out, if you find somebody who accepts your message, great, peace be upon them. But if they don't, you are to shake the dust off of your feet. Now scholars don't entirely know what this means because it's found nowhere else outside of the Bible. But they have speculated that pious Jews, when they would enter into a Gentile city, they would do their business and leave, they would shake their dust off their feet as an indication that they were separating themselves from Gentile practices. That that was not a part of their lives. So now imagine, we're going to take this same concept and now you're out there and you're preaching the gospel, right? And you go into the town and the people don't believe you. So you leave and you wipe the dirt off of your feet. Now what does that mean? Well, basically it's saying that you rejected Jesus as the Messiah, so I reject you. Now Jesus, he goes on and he says that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for the people of that town. This is where Genesis really becomes very important because you got to know Genesis in order to know what he's talking about here. So he's making a reference back to Sodom and Gomorrah which according to tradition was destroyed by God because the people in those cities, they were very sinful people. So essentially, What Jesus is saying is that it's going to be better for those people at the day of judgment than it will be for the people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So in other words, rejecting Jesus as the Messiah is the most grievous sin that anyone can commit. But it gets even worse. It doesn't stop there. He keeps going. So then he says, look, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All right. So let's break this analogy down. Who are the sheep in this analogy? Who are the little, kind, gentle creatures? The sheep. Who are they? Christians, Christians, right? Christians or the apostles. And then who are the wolves, those ravenous beasts that hunt in the middle of the night? Who are they? The Jews. I would say that this is a fairly bad comparison, in my opinion, because, yes, the Jews might have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but that doesn't make them wolves. And they had a right to be skeptical of Christians who were coming into their town. Because what you're reading right here, this whole idea of brother will betray brother and the father his child, this is an allusion to the reason why the Christian mission to the Jews was failing. So what would happen is these Jesus believers, as they were called, would come into town and they would start preaching about Jesus. And what might happen is one person in a family or two people in a family might believe it to be true. But what would happen is because they believed it, it would cause a rift in the family. And ultimately that person would end up having to leave their family of origin. And so as a result of this, the reputation of Jesus believers among the Jews was actually quite negative, to the point where they were starting to change their customs around. So it was customary that if you were walking through a town and you were Jewish and you needed to stay there, the Jews would take you in, they would house you, they would feed you, That's how they cared for each other. But because these Jesus believers were tearing families apart, they started to boycott that custom, and if you were a Jesus believer coming into town, they would not accept you into their homes for fear that one person might believe and it would all get torn apart and it would destroy their families. Now this might be kind of hard to hear given that the theme of the gospel is peace, love, and forgiveness. I mean, truthfully, that's what it's about. But yet, this is what was happening. It was causing a lot of pain and suffering for these families. And I remember when I was in seminary and I learned about this, I was kind of taken aback because Christianity had been really nothing but positive in my life. And so to hear that it had caused this kind of anguish and was tearing families apart, I was kind of like, I can't believe this is actually happening. It's like finding out that your child who you think is all loving and innocent, is like a terror to his classmates. That's not happening with my kid, but I'm just saying, you know, like... (laughs) It's when you find out something like that. You think your child's all good and everything, and then you realize, whoa, there's all this negative that comes along with it. Well, that's the way Christianity was for me. It had been nothing but positive, it changed my life for the better, and then I come to find that it actually had created a lot of suffering for people, not just recently, but pretty much since its inception. So this is what I started thinking about. I started thinking about how often do we come across something that is positive and has affected our lives for the better, and then we don't think about how this thing that's been positive for us, we don't see the negatives, and we have trouble understanding how it can hurt other people. And so this is what I was looking for on social media. This was my theme. I was looking for something that has had a positive impact on people's lives, changed people's lives for the better, but the negatives are not immediately apparent or they're hard to see. And I came across something in the feeds, shocker, right, that I found that actually fits into this. It's the Red Nose Day campaign. How many of you have heard of Red Nose Day? Okay, some of you have heard of it, many of you haven't. So I had never heard of Red Nose Day before, but apparently it's a campaign to raise money in order to end childhood poverty. That's the concept behind it. So you can go to these Walgreens and Duane Reed drugstores and you can buy these red noses right here for about a buck a piece. So the red noses, let's get it all like that. All right, there we go. All right, so the red nose, the whole idea is is that half the money goes to pay for the red nose, half the money goes to pay for the campaign, which 85% of which comes out in grants that they give out to these organizations like Feed America, the Boys and Girls Club of America, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Boys and Girls Club. And then Bill and Melinda Gates, they said they would be giving up to a million dollars to match donations that were given on Facebook. This is good. Should I do this the whole time, you think? (laughs) 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 Do you all want one of these? There you go. There you go. All right, so Red Nose Day in the United States is only three years old. And they've raised something like $60 million, which is pretty amazing that they've been able to raise that much money. And so I started looking into it, to the history, and I was like, where does this all come from? Well, apparently, it was created back in 1985, based off of Live Aid. I don't know if you've ever, you remember that concert, Live Aid, where you had... Madonna and Paul McCartney and David Bowie, they all got together and they played under a sign that said Feed the World. And the whole idea was they were raising money because there was massive starvation going on in Africa, and they wanted that money in order to help these people. They raised something like $80 million. And so Red Nose Day, it was created because this was so successful. And so the charity Comic Relief they created this Red Nose Day campaign so that actors and comedians could get in on the effort. And every two years in the UK, they do a Red Nose Day. Well, back in 2015, they brought Comic Relief to the US, and they've been doing Red Nose Days every year. And their CEO, Janet Scardino, she went out and she did a survey of people in America, and she found out 60% had no idea what Red Nose Day was. So they went into this big marketing media campaign where you saw stuff on television and in social media. And so that's where I saw it because it was at the top of the feeds. And so here's one of the advertisements that they had for Red Nose Day. Now, I thought that that was legit because Mr. Bean was a part of that. So, you know, I figured that, that was the reason why it was worth donating to it from what I can tell, it actually has had a pretty good impact on the people it's intended to help. So for all the dollars that were given to this, they have been able to help these under-resourced children's programs that are in areas where children are most vulnerable. And this is really important because, as you know from living in Illinois, the city and state governments here, they are cutting funding for these types of programs left and right because, frankly, we can't get our financial house in order. And so this money is really important because it fills a very, very needed gap that is growing wider every year. But here is where we get into the negatives that come along with this kind of fundraising. So in the short term, this kind of fundraising is very successful. You can raise money, you can get a lot done. But the long-term impact is that it can actually be detrimental to the very cause they are seeking to help. So it is not uncommon for people who give to something like Red Nose Day. To believe that by giving to this particular cause, they have contributed to the resolution of this problem. In other words, by giving money to the Red Nose Day campaign, they believe that Red Nose Day, these people who run this, that they're going to end childhood poverty, which of course is crazy. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because I mean, one charity organization is not going to be able to end childhood poverty. At best, They're able to keep a band-aid on a pretty large wound that, frankly, gets bigger all the time. If we want to end childhood poverty, then we need to address issues like education, crime, economic opportunity, discrimination, affordable housing, affordable food, and the list goes on. We need to see that these little cogs, after-school programs and vaccines, as important as they are, They're just small little cogs in this much larger problem that requires systemic change. If you want to end childhood poverty, then you're talking not about millions of dollars, you're talking about billions of dollars and tens of thousands of people investing their time in these areas to bring change. But that's not what you hear from the Red Nose Day campaign because first of all, it's very hard for people to wrap their minds around that level of complexity. And it also decimates your donor base because the fact is, who wants to contribute to a problem that's seemingly intractable? And so they go for the simple pitch, right? What is their slogan? The slogan here is, let's come together to end childhood poverty one nose at a time. Okay, so the important part about it is what? End childhood poverty. Now, like I said, in the, this can raise a lot of money for very good things, but the long-term impact And what you see is that when somebody gives to this, they are far less likely to support government funds going towards these issues and private investment in these issues. Because, ultimately, why would I wanna give my tax dollars to something that I've already invested in? The same thing with private investment. I already gave my money to this charity. Why would I want to give it back to them? And so, Red Nose Day, as important as it is, and you have to realize it does important things for these programs, without this money, they would basically fold a lot of these programs. So it is very necessary. But as long as they have this idea, they're putting this idea out here that they're going to end childhood poverty, childhood poverty will always be here. And so this brings us back to what we were talking about in the Gospel of Matthew. Because there's a parallel between our scripture this morning and what's happening with Red Nose Day. So we begin with the premise. The Gospel is a good thing. Would you all agree with that? Generally speaking, not bad? Okay. Okay. I can tell you that it has changed many lives for the better including my own but but the gospel has also torn many families apart and created major societal divisions which it was never intended to do i don't think jesus created all of this with the hope that people would get torn apart in their families i don't think he ever wanted that to happen but it has happened and the same thing is true with red nose day these people are raising this money for a good cause but yet it ends up hurting the very people they are trying to help. Was that the intention? No, I don't think it was. But it's what's happening. And so what's the message that we're supposed to take away from this today? Are we supposed to abandon the gospel and never contribute to a campaign like Red Nose Day because there's some negatives that go along with it? No, that's not the message. The message is that with every good that you find in the world, there is almost always going to be a corresponding negative. And what we have to do is we have to be aware of those negatives so that we can counteract them so that they don't leave people in their wake. Let's take Red Nose Day. Great thing, you contribute some money to it, you go buy a red nose. Is that a bad thing? No, you should do it. It's good to throw a few bucks in there. But the one thing you can't do is you can't give to that campaign and then shut your brain off and say, well, that problem is solved i don't have to do anything else with that right that doesn't work that way that's the first step in a lot of steps that we all need to be taking to actually impact and change this issue which should be important to all of us we should all want to end childhood poverty same thing is true for the gospel the gospel i really believe can change people's lives in amazing ways but we have to acknowledge that many people have been hurt by christianity Not everybody's had a positive experience with the church. And so if you're willing to acknowledge that, if you're willing to hold that up and to say, you know what, I understand why you've been through that, and I understand that the church has the potential and the ability to hurt people in bad ways. And i found that if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to acknowledge it, particularly people who have been through a tough time, they're going to be more likely to listen to what you have to say about the positives of what you have found in the church. I know that when I talk to people who have been burned by our community, been burned by the Christian community, and I tell them, yes, I see where you're coming from. I know what you're talking about, and it's there, absolutely. It's a very healing experience for them because I've had people come back to me and say, well, what you're talking about sounds very different from what I experienced, and maybe I'd be willing to try it again. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would go out from here and that you would really embrace the good things that are in the world. There are so many good things that people are trying to do to change the world for the better, like Red Nose Day. That's a great campaign that's trying to change the world for the better. We need those things because without them, people are going to suffer. But we also have to realize that despite our best intentions, there is always going to be a negative side to positive progress. And it's our role and what we have to do is see and be conscious of that so that we can create holistic change. Nobody in here wants to see somebody left in the wake of something that was intended to be good. I know that for a fact. And so if we come together, if we try to create holistic change, then we are actually going to be doing what Jesus asked us to do when he said, you need to create God's kingdom here on earth. We can make the world a better place and we absolutely will together. Happy Father's Day to everyone here. Do something nice for the dads in your life. They deserve it. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.